I bring a message that has to do with ministry and, uh, and serving God, seeing that is the theme of the day, doing ministry on God's behalf. I'm going to invite you to turn with me in your Bible to a very familiar passage of Scripture found in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and I'll read just one verse, verse 1. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. The Bible says, This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. In the King James Version, it says, This is a true saying. If a man desires the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. I'd like to present a message entitled, as is presented there in, in our bulletin, Aspiring to the Office aspiring to the office. Let us bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the privilege of sharing your words. We ask no Lord that you will give us understanding, give us clarity as your words come to us so that we will be drawn in a closer relationship with you. Bless your words to our hearts now we pray. For Christ's sake, amen. Amen. If a man desires the position or the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. Paul's statement, statement here about the aspiring to the office of a bishop or an overseer does sound a little bit strange. Because when we look at it from the surface, it gives us the idea that this is being expressed in the form of an ambition, an aspiration, a drive, a target to shoot at. So what exactly is Paul saying here to us? He says, if, the man, if a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good thing. In other words, if somebody aspires to this position, it's a good thing. And the word aspire is a very strong word. In the Greek text, it is the middle voice of orego, which means to stretch yourself out, or it means to personally reach out for. And so it came to mean aspire. The word Paul uses here as desire, orego, also is the same word that means, as a, the same word aspire. In plain and simple terms, brothers and sisters, it refers to ambition. 
to that which drives or motivates a person. And ambition comes from the Latin word meaning canvassing for position. So looking at all of this, what is Paul saying here? Is Paul saying that if a man canvass for the position of a bishop, he's doing a good thing? You know, in our day, ambition is usually connected with some form of self-seeking motivated by selfish desires. In generally, it refers to a person with some self-centered hidden agendas. And such ambition in leaders and in any Christian is a curse and is to be avoided because leaders that God has chosen uh, are not to be of such. You see, leaders with such agendas or, or selfish motives will end up always manipulating and using others for their own personal good. And that will never help the church. But on the other hand, and what Paul is referring to here, is that there is a biblical sanctified ambition. One that is essential to good leadership. One that is a mark of maturity. One that is a mark that should be a part of our lives. So then, what is this biblical ambition? It is an ambition that has been cleansed of self-seeking. An ambition that finds, that seeks only the glory of God and the well-being of others. That is spiritual ambition, biblical ambition. It is also an ambition that seeks not position, seeks not praise, seeks not power, seeks not prestige or popularity, but service to God and faithful ministry to our fellow men. It is an ambition that has as its center the three important E's which define the purpose of the church. The three E's that, defines, that define the purpose of the church is the exaltation of God, the edification of the body of Christ, and the evangelism of the lost. The evangelization of the lost. Exaltation, edification, and evangelism. This kind of ambition promotes these three E's. You know, if we are maturing in Christ, we will learn to seek our security, our significance, our satisfaction from the Lord rather than from people, from position, from power, or from praise. And with this in mind, let us know two things here in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse chapter, sorry, 1 Timothy 3 and verse 1. Just the one verse we're relating to. You can read the rest of the chapter as your assignment. Especially those who are called to serve. First, we must notice that Paul didn't use the term elder in this passage. And that is important. Paul says, if a man desires the position of a bishop. Now, if you look through the Bible, and especially in Acts, especially in Acts chapter 20, 
you will discover that the word elder and bishop refers to the same office, same person. Elders are oftentimes referred to as bishop and they are used interchangeably. Some version will say overseer. Some say bishop, because a bishop is like an overseer. Elders are defined as overseers, Acts chapter 20, verse 17 and verse 28. So what is the difference between the two terms? Why would Paul use one and not the other? Paul says, if a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. Why didn't he say elder? Now, I want us to understand that there's a difference. The term elder stresses the prestige and the position of the office. Elder talks about the position and the prestige. On the other hand, the bishop refers to the function and the work. So we'll notice that Paul says, if you desire the office of a bishop, you desire a good work. Because the bishop, the notion of bishop is more so dealing with the hands-on aspect of the office, the charge of the office, and not the position itself. In 1 Timothy 3 and verse 1, Paul carefully chose to use episcope, the office or charge of oversight. But why? Because the word stresses that the ministry function and nature of this office is a charge from God and not the element of a position. You see, God is not looking for men and women who are aspiring for a position. Jesus made it clear to the disciples as he taught them about ministry. The church needs leaders and officers who are aspiring to serve the body of Christ for the glory of God and the blessings of others. Too many times we emphasize the position and we boast of the position and we see, you know, when we, when we, ref, when we, emphasize position then we are dealing with ranks and who is higher or who is more important than the other but when we emphasize the charge the work we recognize that we are all in this together to carry out a good work the second point to note is that the next statement of verse 1 which says it is a good work he desires to do. It is a good work. And you can underline the word work there. The Greek word used here is ergon, which means work, deed, action, task, enterprise, undertaking. And we understand what that means. And so the emphasis is clearly not on aspiring to a position or a place of prestige, but on the function and the work of an overseer, a bishop, an aspiration which is to have its root in godly and pastoral love for the well-being of God's people rather than for personal and selfish ambitions. And it is this that Paul asserts as trustworthy and honorable. 
That's what Paul said is honorable. It should be our prayers, brothers and sisters, that we would all set our sights on spiritual maturity. But as we do, let's be careful of our motives. The purpose of maturity is not to make us more comfortable and secure or to land us with a position in the church. Its purpose is, more, is to make us more like our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, and to be effective as his representative in this lost and dying world. No. One of the fundamental principles of Scripture is that we fall short of God's glory and God's perfection. And so while godly maturity and Christ-likeness should be the goal or target of all of us as believers, and while one of the goals for every ministry and its leadership should be to bring its people into a higher and higher stage of godly maturity, still none of us can claim perfection. Doesn't matter how godly we are, we can't claim perfection. Do you remember David's plea in Psalm 143 and verse 3? David, whom the Bible described as a man after God's own heart, and a leader of God's people. When praying to God, he said, in Psalm 143 and verse 3, And do not enter into judgment thy servant, for in thy sight no man is righteous. And Paul brought this home a little further in Philippians chapter 3, 10 through 16. You could turn with me in your Bibles there and let's look at what Paul says. Paul says, not that I have already attained or am already perfect, but I press on that I may, hold, may lay hold for that, which, for, for that which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Then in verse 13, Paul says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise... God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. So Paul is saying, we can never claim perfection even though we have attained some degree of maturity. You know, we have gained experience. We have grown in our experience, in our Christian walk. We'll never reach that point where we say, I have made it. I have become perfect. We continue on to press on in Christ Jesus. And so the goal indeed, the mark of all to pursue as did Paul is spiritual maturity. We all want to be spiritual mature, spiritually mature. 
being conformed to the character of Christ. But no matter how much we have attained that goal, there will always be plenty of room and need for more growth and more change. No person has ever attained full maturity except the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So what does this truth and fact mean? The fact that no man is perfect or fully measured up all the time. One, it means that there will always be room for improvement, room for growth in our spiritual experience, in our Christian warfare. You see, Paul says that an elder, an officer should be above reproach. And being above reproach is not a demand for perfection. If that were so, no man would be qualified. None of us would be qualified. However, it teaches us that being, a, being above a reproach in relation to these qualities means that a man's lifestyle, a woman's lifestyle, is such that, generally speaking, no one can legitimately accuse him of conduct which is unbefitting a mature believer. That's what Paul means. When it says we must be above reproach. We are not perfect. But we shouldn't be singled out. As one who is not behaving right. Our behavior. And our conduct. Ought to be of such. That. We cannot be blamed. For misbehaving. It also means. That these qualities should exist. In our lives. To such a degree that they stand out as prominent and consistent in our character. You know, they are, they are clearly distinguishable. But there will be room still for growth and times when we may even fall short. Being above reproach does not mean that we should look for and choose those who are those who are mature and are examples of Christ's likeness and we and that we should expect continued growth of them. It means that's what we should do. We should look for those who are mature, those who are are walking with Jesus Christ. And even though we may look up to them as being solid Christians, we would also expect them to continue to grow spiritually. We have to press on to the mark. We have to press on to faithfulness. We have to allow Jesus Christ to live within us in such a way that we are becoming more and more like him. And as leaders, for us to lead people to Christ, we have to be led by Christ. Because Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And, 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 and to our leaders today, Elder, Elders, Han, Elder Scott and Sister Maria, for being set aside for a good work, your focus should be on Christ Jesus to allow him to lead you so that you can be a good instrument in his hand 
for the development, for the growth of his people and his cause in this part of the vineyard. You know, I once saw a bumper sticker that said, don't follow me, I'm lost too. And you know, that is the state of the world today. And unfortunately, it's also the state of many well-being Christians and leaders. You know, they are like the commercial pilot who told the passengers, I have good news and I have bad news. The bad news is that we are lost, but the good news is that we are making good time. You know, we must understand that motion in itself never means direction, just as activity in and of itself never means effectiveness. If you do not know where you are going, then any road will lead you there. We need, brothers and sisters, quality lives with quality motion aimed in the right direction with specific biblical objectives. So, me, so you're going fast doesn't mean that you're getting to your destination anytime soon if you don't know where you're going. Effective ministry to others is often equated with dynamic personalities, with great talents, with giftedness, with training, with enthusiasm, with charisma. But these things alone are inadequate. Much more is needed. We need to have Jesus Christ within us because it doesn't matter how gifted we are. If we are without Christ, we are just a gifted, ordinary person. But if we are going to be extraordinary, then we need Jesus Christ as our guide. Stories told of a college professor who was approached by a student of his, religion professor, the religion student approached him and said, Prof, I have a problem. And the professor said, what is your problem? And the student said, I've been studying, we've been looking on the gospel of Jesus Christ, we've been studying the life and teaching of Jesus. Why did Jesus choose Judas? Didn't he know what Judas was up to? Why did he choose Judas? And the professor looked and said, my friend, my son, that's no problem. I have a bigger problem than that. And the student said, what is that? And the professor said, my question is, my problem is, why did God choose me? Why is God choosing you? That's my concern. Because we have to have that look and inward look on ourselves. Why? How come God would lay hold on such a person like me? Didn't he know what I'm like? Didn't God know what is in my head? What are my propensities? But God chose us. Not because we are good, but because he's good. Not because we are great, but because he's great. He chose the disciples not because they were any great men, but he made them into great men. You know, we could look at the disciples 
And we could ask the question, how would you like to launch a worldwide campaign with the likes of Peter and his companions? Yet with these common, average, uneducated men, the Lord launched a campaign that has reached the world and has turned it upside down. Why? Was it because of their methodology? No. Was it because of their dynamic personalities and programs? No. But because these common men intimately knew the Lord and began to experience his life and his character in theirs by the Spirit of Almighty God. That's what makes the difference. And that's what will make the difference in us so that whatever we are called to do, we can do it to the honor and glory of God. God took common men and made them into great men who became spiritual leaders because they were experiencing the greatest spiritual leader. Our need is the need for the selection of men and women who will continually look to Jesus. You know, if we must choose between giftedness and godliness, let us choose godliness. If we can choose both, then that's great. That's fine. But we need to keep the emphasis where the emphasis ought to be kept. And that is not so much about us, but it's about what God can do in us first and then through us. Because God has to do a work on us before he can work with us. And so let us give God our heart. Let's give it all over to God. Turn it over to Jesus. Let us give of our best to the Master. Let us give him our all so that he can use us for his honor and his glory. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14 and 15, the Apostle Paul stated, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised for them. You know, Paul's sense of value here, his sense of significance, his identity, all lies with Jesus Christ. Christ's love is his motivation. He's doing God's will. Therefore, he's not discouraged by what men say or what men will do to him. His significance is not tied to the position or the office. Paul does not focus on the success of his ministry. He, if, if no one accepts Jesus Christ here, if they reject my message and if they throw me out, I will shake the dust from off my feet and I will move on. Paul has been chased around literally by persecutors, by people who wanted him dead, by false prophets and so on. He's not discouraged because his value and significance is not in his appointment. His value and his significance is in his relationship with Jesus Christ. And so if we should not build our significance on the office or on the position... 
people who do that will fight to keep the position. If you think you are somebody because you are head elder, then you will do everything to keep that position. But if you are the head elder, you need to know that you are there because Jesus grants you an opportunity to do some work for him. Ministry is the work of the Holy Spirit. We are called and selected by him to serve God. So therefore, brothers and sisters, Elder Scott, Deaconess Maria, and other elders and deacons and deaconess and ministry leaders, officers, members, pastors, ministry is the work of the Holy Spirit. We are called to serve him. We are to be humble and faithful and we must be committed to the work. He has given us a responsibility as stewards and he's coming back. He's going to ask us, what did we do of the ministry? So when the ministry is doing well, that doesn't mean that you are great. When the ministry is not doing well, that doesn't mean that you are insignificant or useless. Learn from Paul, just move on and continue to do what God has called you to do. You see, when your value comes from what you do, there are a number of potential problems. Firstly, if for some reason you are not elected to the, re-elected to the ministry or the office, you are going to feel devastated. And the reason is that the office or the ministry has become your security. Secondly, if your value comes from what you are doing, if someone else is better or more gifted than you, then you become threatened and intimidated and jealous of the other individuals and may even hurt that person or hate that person. You want to, you feel so jealous you want to compete. And the truth is that there is always someone more gifted than all of us. And yes, there are others who are not as gifted as we are. So don't derive your value and your giftedness from your office or the position. Thirdly, if your value comes from what you do, you can easily become very proud, very puffed up. You want people to pat you on the back always, all the time. And every time you do something, you want everybody to say, well done, good job. And soon you will begin to think, that the ministry, the position, the office cannot do without you. First Corinthians 4, 2 and 3 says, Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Verse 3 says, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. So Paul is saying, whatever we are, God has given us to do, just be faithful. Don't be concerned about anything else. Just be faithful. And so our concern ought to be staying faithful. Be involved in the long haul. Finish the race. Paul says it's not about the start of the race. The big question is, can you finish it? Will you quit? If you believe that what you are doing is a part of God's eternal plan, then you will last. 
That perspective is correct. Brothers and sisters, it will give you the drive to go on and on even when faced with mounting difficulties like Paul. You know, many give up early because they fail to see the big picture. They fail to see what God is doing for them or what God can do for them and through them. They fall short of the kind of impact that they can make because they do not cherish their ministry the way God does. In concluding, I remind you of Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 10. The wise man says, whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might. For there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. So let us pray and ask God to grant us a clearer picture so that we can see what his will is for our lives. Let us reflect on the call that God has given us and what we can do to build up his kingdom. What do you think God really wants you to do in his kingdom, his church? Do you cherish and value what you are doing right now? Do you see it as, a, as an important work that God has given you here? Just remember, Jesus declares, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. That's the word of Jesus. So I declare to you, brothers and sisters, Go forward in Christ Jesus. Be all you can be in Jesus Christ. Do what you can do in Christ and let him be your guide. Don't let anyone despise your ministry or your effort. Don't be immobilized by challenges and mountains. Don't be crushed by burdens because Jesus will supply all your needs. Don't you get weary and don't you get tired because very soon is reward day. Jesus is coming soon. You know, you will no longer see dark clouds, but you will see a bright cloud with the Son of God coming in great glory. And you will hear his sweet voice echoes from space, well done, you good and faithful servant, you have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. Brothers and sisters, we have a great work to do. Sinners are dying daily. People are going down in Christless graves. God has given us a mission. God has given us a task. Yes, if we think we can do it on our own, it will become unsurmountable. But if we know that Jesus will use us, even beyond our understanding and even beyond the way we plan, all we have to do is to be willing to submit, to desire to do a good work for Jesus. To have that desire to build up God's kingdom. And God will take us and will use us. And by his grace, the work will be accomplished. It looked impossible. 
When you look around the world, it looks impossible. But my Bible tells me that God will finish this work. He will finish the work one day. And as the songwriter says, what joy. Oh, there will be joy when the work is done. You know, there can be joy now as well. I believe that we can have joy. Yes, there will be greater joy when the work is done. But we can have great joy doing the work, looking forward to that greater joy when the work is done. May God help us to be faithful. May God help us to be so connected to Jesus that we'll never lose sight of him. But we'll always do what we can as he bids us work in his vineyard. May God bless us. And I know the work here in Belleville will continue to grow from strength to strength.